I've had people re- reach out to me and say, look, you know, I don't want to be a burden. And I go, don't give me that bullshit. You're just giving me an opportunity to improve my mental health. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% savings for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Filex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar, at filex.com.au. Paul Taylor is one of Australia's leading exercise physiologists, nutritionists, and neuroscientists. Here he chats with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about practical strategies to immediately improve our thinking, cold showers, stress response, and immunity, creating positive avatars for ourselves, and digital sunsets and honouring our circadian cycles. Welcome back to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here, Ollie. Well, one of the areas that you're working in these days is that of mental vitality. Presumably, that's not just about drinking Red Bull. So can you give us a bit of an overview of what that means? Yeah, so it's really about, if you think about it, when we talk about mental health, mostly we're talking about absence of disease, right? Which is okay from one perspective, but... Mental health is so much more than that, right? It's about, for me, it's about that vitality, about not just being absent of depression or anxiety, but am I actually flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. Do I have vitality? So you know, don't do, just survive, but thrive. Thriving, not surviving. That's exactly right. So that's my take on it, really. Okay. So we're talking here then, I guess, about working with people that are suffering from depression, anxiety, various mental health issues. Not just that. Um, so, so for me, the whole thing is about, it's the whole spectrum. So it's about stuff that people can do that if they're anxious or depressed will help them to get out of or overcome their anxiety or depression. But just for everyday people like me and you, is lifting up another level, right? So from going from, as you say, from survival, to thriving right so in terms of our physical health it's being well I don't have disease to I feel great I have the physical vitality so most people get the physical vitality but also I'm really interested in that mental vitality piece okay sounds like something we could all benefit from so presumably there are some practices that we can help to increase mental vitality look absolutely and before we jump into the practices I think it's really important because this is the major issue of today. You know, the last Australian Psychological Society research showed that about a third of Australians are reporting having significant levels of, of depression. About a quarter of them are reporting above level above normal levels of anxiety. So when you say depression there, are we talking sort of clinical grade well, depression well, or their own kind of yeah. interpretation? No, so, so that's a rabbit hole, right? Mm. So what we know is that the levels of depression have increased pretty significantly. Now, there's a number of factors that go into that. Number one is maybe the changing of the diagnosis of when we're actually depressed. Another one is organisations, great organisations like Beyond Blue, who are making it okay to talk about it, right? So Um, much more so. In the last decade, it's incredible how much more mainstream it is. And I've noticed a lot more gyms. And, you know, if we're talking here, this podcast is predominantly for fitness professionals. A lot of clubs and gyms these days will have another emphasis on the mental benefit 
bits of exercise as well as the physical. And that's been a big change in the last few years. Yeah. And it's just realizing that we actually need to be moving to be feeling okay. This is the thing is it's fundamental movement is fundamental to our genome and, and actually there's a guy called frank burke who's a neuroscientist and exercise physiologist like me but a shitload smarter and he talked about the human genome in the journal of applied physiology in 2002 and he said the human genome has not changed in over forty-five thousand years the current human genome requires and expects us to be highly physically active for normal functioning Now, the language is very important. It's normal functioning, not optimal functioning. So it turns out, and that's actually one of my first foundational habit or ritual, is around physical activity, around doing a workout every day, because there are so many benefits of exercise. Now, there are huge, wide-ranging benefits for our health of just movement, of just walking. But when we exercise, and particularly at higher intensities, when you're getting oxygen and blood flow pumping, there are neurotransmitters released in the brain that are important for mood. Now, everybody's heard about endorphins, and they're the kind of sexy chemicals that get all the plaudits. But exercise also releases monamines. So serotonin, which is important for mood and sleep, as most people know. Dopamine, which is important for pleasure, but also goal-directed behavior and motivation. And the third one is noradrenaline, sometimes called norepinephrine, depending on whether you're American or not. And that is an important mood-enhancing chemical as well. But we know that exercise also releases endocannabinoids, which are feel-good chemicals in the brain. So there's a range of these feel-good chemicals that are released every time we exercise. And it upregulates gene expression, protective genes, whenever we exercise. So there's just a multitude of benefits from doing even a short workout. So I work with a lot of corporates who are time poor and maybe have one, one and a half, two hours a week to exercise. And I say to them, don't just do it in two different sessions. Do a 10-minute workout or an eight-minute workout every day because what you'll do is you'll actually boost your mood you'll turn your brain into a high performance machine for that day and it's stress busting we've known for maybe 30 40 years that exercise reduces state anxiety it helps you to cope with stress and it improves your resilience as well okay so i imagine their uh, listeners will be pretty happy to hear that i mean it's i think uh, physical activity is it has so many benefits so it's always good to get it reinforced so that's one of your behaviors yep next one so after you've done your exercise this one's a little bit left field is doing a cold shower so and people go cold shower really let's pick now some people do it and some people go oh i'm not sure about that but research a randomized control trial done in holland a couple of years ago showed that people who did either 30 60 or 90 seconds of a cold shower mm-hmm. after their normal shower they did it for six months and then they remeasured and then they said okay we're going to remeasure you again in another six months those of you who've been doing the cold shower you don't have to do it if you would like to continue you can crack on just let us know over 90% of them chose to continue, right? And at the end of the year, they had about a 30% reduction in sickness and absenteeism. So it turns out that when we expose ourselves to cold water, norepinephrine is released in the brain, right? We also know that stress response proteins are released in the brain as well. So heat shock proteins that are released during exercise, which have lots of cellular benefits, but also cold shock proteins that have complementary benefits to the heat shock proteins. So at a cellular level, they help repair damaged cells, but they also trigger another wave of gene expression from metabolic priority genes and mitochondrial enzyme genes and all sorts of cool stuff happens, right? 
But the other thing we know is that the immune system improves. And this is why those people were not getting as sick. And it's to do with the noradrenaline release that then triggers immune cells to basically work a little bit better. And when you look at studies of cold water swimmers, you know, those guys who swim all year round, mm-hmm. when they compare them to aged match control groups who do similar amounts of exercise, but not in the cold, the cold water guys have better immune function, they got better cardiovascular function, and they live longer than the people who do the same amount of exercise, but not in the cold. So there's something unique mm. about the cold exposure, and it's to do with these stress response proteins that actually stimulate ad- adaptive responses. Well, okay, so does it matter when you're having the showers? Is this your morning shower? Is this a post-exercise shower? Yeah, it, no, that, no that matter. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, it's generally a bit more tolerable after exercise because you're, ni- you're nice and hot and the cold shower will cool you down. And it gets a little bit tougher in winter, particularly if you live down in Melbourne rather than Sydney and Queensland, where you, Queensland, you don't get a cold shower at all, right? Okay, Paul, so moving on, next strategy. So next strategy is something I call mental sculpting. And it's really thinking about the kind of voices in our head, right? So everybody can relate to a version of them that's a little bit shit, right? You know, that crappy version of you that just doesn't want to engage in life and is a bit whiny and that sort of stuff. And if you think about it, when that person's in control, life's not really that good, right? But we all have a version of us that's awesome. So I like to create characters. So you've got to give each of them a name and bring them to life. You know, what do they wear? What do they drink? What footy team do they support? But then you've got to write down, so what do they say routinely, right? And then what do they say when they're faced with a challenge? And then you've got to identify for the awesome version of you, what are some character strengths that you actually have? And if people are a little bit unsure, there's a great free resource called a viacharacter.com. And this is Penn State University Department of Psychology, Martin Seligman, who's known as the father of of positive psychology. Mm -hmm. It's free testing on your signature strengths. And they have shown that when you focus on your signature strengths and try to use them every day, it improves your well-being, improves your engagement at work and stuff like that, right? So you write down your strengths, and then I like to take it a little bit further, is think of add another one or two strengths that you would like to have. So I might go, look, I've worked with Ollie for years. I really like the way that Ollie is empathetic listener. I'd like to have more of that skill. So you write that down, that that's what your version of your best version of you has. And you got to give them a name. And then it's just about deciding who's in control on a daily basis. Just decide who's in control and something that works really well. And it sounds a bit weird, but it's actually really effective as you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you just say to yourself, who's going to be in control, right? You tell yourself, my, um, so my awesome version of me is called Jev, and he's named after three guys who had a big impact on me. I've read about, like, one is Jim Stockdale, and I'll not spoil it for the listeners. They can just jump on the Wikipedia mm-hmm. and look up Jim Stockdale. The next is Ernst Shackleton, the Arctic explorer, and the last, the V, stands for Viktor Frankl, right? And Viktor Frankl... He basically got through Auschwitz. He was uh, captured by the Nazis, taken to Auschwitz. And the only reason he got through was that he wanted to create some meaning out of the horrors or some good out of the horrors that happened in Auschwitz. That's the thing that gave him the strength to endure because he was a psychiatrist, right? And he had some tools. And he realized that actually if I don't survive, then all of this will have been for nothing. Right. All of my friends will have died for nothing. No good will come of this whatsoever. So that was his overwhelming purpose 
was to survive Auschwitz so as he could create some good out of it, right? But he created this thing called logotherapy, a branch of psychology, which is really effective for treatment for depression and anxiety. But one of the key tenets of logotherapy is that he realized, he said, in Auschwitz, man can take away all your loved ones, your dignity, your pride, your belongings. He can take everything from you but one thing. And he called it the last of human freedoms. And he said, no one can take from you the ability to choose how you react to your circumstances, to choose your own attitude, to choose your own way. So Frankel would be very supportive of the idea that you can choose who's in control, who's running the show. But it's about being aware of it. And it's about starting off in the morning, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know what? Jeff's going to be in control today. And then before and presumably you, you're never going with the opposite. No, you don't, because why would you, right? Yeah. Unless you're in danger. Mm. Right? If you're in danger, then the shitty version of you, who's generally a bit negative, is probably useful. Right? But, and it's just thinking about, it's just exercising a bit of choice. And looking at yourself in the mirror and saying it, you're much more likely to do it. And then I like to, so the corporates that I work with say, before you go into work, spend 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Just visualize in your brain, Jeff coming into work. Right? What's the best version of me? Before you go into a meeting, one-on-one, just as many times a day, just do that little bit of visualization. And the most important time of the day to do it is when you come home, right? Before you go into your house to see your wife, husband, kids, partner, dog, just say, what version of me do they want to see come in, right? And I've had really good feedback from people saying just doing that is a bit of a game changer. I mean, it's hard when you, you know, it's great to make that decision. And then, so how do you then strive to to keep Jeff going when you're then faced with the challenges of the day? So it's a beautiful segue into my next one, which is is about doing some box breathing, right? So when you're stressed, is using your breathing to control your brain, right? So it's only taken scientists about 3,000 years to catch up with the knowledge of yogis that breathing can control your heart and your brain. So we know that certain breathing patterns, and the one that I like to teach people is box breathing, right? So you breathe like the sides of a box. So you breathe in for four or five seconds. You hold for four, you breathe out for four, and you hold for four. So you're breathing like the sides of a box. US Special Forces use it when they're on patrol to control their arousal and put their brain in an optimal state. So when you're stressed, it's basically just over arousal in the brain, right? The brain is in high beta wave activity, and we know that doing that breathing just for a minute or two can actually take the brain out of high beta into lower levels of beta where you actually have some form of control. Right? So it's using the physiology. We now know it's, it's bottom-up control of the vagus nerve. Right, So your vagus nerve connects your brain, your heart, and your lungs. When you're stressed, your vagus nerve is stimulated from the top down. Your breathing gets faster, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up. Um, but we now know that when you breathe in certain patterns, you actually slow your heart rate, reduce your blood pressure, and take your brain out of a stress state. And the other thing I teach people is tactical breathing. So, and again, US Special Forces, they, they've coined the term. So they, if you're amygdala hijack, right? So you're losing your shit, your brain's just gone. You breathe in for four seconds and out for between eight and 12. Even just doing that one breath can just calm your brain down, relax, let your frontal lobes kick in. And then that's when you can start to go, okay, now you got that little space. Who am I going to choose to be in control, right? So the breath, that little bit of breathing is absolutely critical. Loving this, Paul. It's just some really 
simple practical tools that people can use every day and it's and you can implement these straight away this is this is not a here's some tactics that are going to take me you know several months and kind of you know vague ideas and hard to kind of capture notions these are really practical stuff yeah I mean, look i call myself a pracademic right so you know since i left the forces i've turned into a geek so I got a master's in ex- exercise physiology, one in nutrition and postgrad in neuroscience, and I'm now doing a PhD in applied psychology. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a real geek in terms of looking at the research, but my interest is how do you take the academic research and turn it into practical strategies? So that's what I mean by the pracademic. So I look at the research and I go, right, what does that mean? What can we actually do about it? And these aren't things that, that I have necessarily created. It's just stuff that I've looked at and, t- and then drawn some connections about stuff that people can actually do. Fantastic. So any more? Yep, there's a few more. So gratitude, I think, is something that is hugely important and something that we don't do enough of. And I um, sort of bumped into gratitude over 20 years ago in India one day when I saw a guy with leprosy and elephantitis. And I thought to myself, you know what? Never forget this guy, right? What has he ever done to deserve leprosy and elephantitis when you're perfectly healthy? Right? And I'm not religious, which I think helps from that, from the gratitude perspective, because for me, it's just the role of the cosmic dice that I was born healthy and this guy was born and ended up with leprosy and elephantitis. So I think, Jesus, I'm pretty lucky, right? And what the research shows is that people who regularly practice gratitude have better levels of mental well-being, they suffer less anxiety, they're less depressed, they have more hope and optimism for the future, they're more empathetic, they're more forgiving of people who wrong them. There's a whole heap of research that's come out about that gratitude. And, And I think it's important to do, particularly for us in the West, like we talked about these mental health stats, but we never had it so good. Right? And me and you, people like us who are immigrants, we know how bloody awesome it is to live in Australia. When I hear Australians wins, I think to myself, bugger off to a third world country for a year and then come back and whinge about the traffic or you know, your air conditioner broke last night or whatever it may be, right? And the whole thing is, for me, is it's about scarcity in the brain. And when you constantly have something the natural tendency of the brain is to take it for granted. So we start to take for granted that we live in this awesome, safe country. Uh, Yeah, totally. But you just default to what's there. And then when we live in a world where we're bombarded by over a million advertising messages a month, and we have all the social media where we see the best little snapshot, airbrushed moments of people's lives and we compare it to our mundane shit, we start to become depressed and anxious, right? And so just having a gratitude ritual, I think is a great counterbalance for that. And there's a number of ways that you can do it. You can either write down all the things you're grateful for, stuff like, you know, really simple stuff like running water, right? Think about it, how awesome is that? Having a gas cooker, like it's, it's pretty cool, really. But just writing them down and actually thinking about it and thinking, you know, how lucky am I for that? You write all that, all that down and you laminate it, or you can do it, if, particularly if you have a family, this works really well. You sit in the evening or in the morning at breakfast and you just go around the table and say something that you're grateful for. And research has shown that it primes the brain for positivity. Over time, it creates a positivity bias in the brain. So your brain then starts to look for positives in the environment. Right? And I think it's, 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 a, it's a hugely important thing for us to do, but it's easy to forget about. Yeah, as you say, you take it for granted. So building it into, making it into a routine. Yeah, but making it into a ritual, right? So when, I, when that happened to me in India, I thought, All right, I, need to, I need to do this every day. 
So I thought, well, the best way to form a habit is to tag it onto another habit. So every time I get in the shower, I do my gratitude ritual. So that's become a trigger. And now I, I do it lots. I do it in the shower every day, but I also do it heaps just around the day. You know, I was sitting on a plane the other day coming from Sydney to Melbourne and it was late and people were starting to get grumpy and tetchy and, you know, there was another delay and you could just feel the negativity. And I, I could feel myself getting hooked into it and I thought, hold on a minute, I've got the ability to choose here. And I thought, actually, I'm just going to focus on something else. I'm sitting in a plane that weighs hundreds of tonnes and in a couple of minutes it's going to take off and fly, right? That's pretty bloody awesome. Right. And so I just focused on that and focused on the gratitude. Like a hundred years ago, that trip would have taken me a few days. Mm -hmm. And there are people are whinging because they're half an hour late. You know, it's, you, you choose what you focus on, really. Yeah, it's just resetting, getting some perspective, right? Absolutely. Hugely important to get that sense of perspective. But And again, it's not pointing fingers at people. It's the natural condition of the sure. human brain to just take stuff for granted. And then even stuff that you think is awesome, you get um, some new thing or something happens and you think this is so awesome. After a couple of weeks, you just take it for granted, right? So gratitude is actually the natural counterbalance to that. So I, I think it's hugely important. Okay. Any more? Any more yeah, tactics? Well, I, I got a few more. So one is in, in the evening. So the second last one is about a digital detox or a digital sunset. Mm. And again, I think this is one of the biggest problems of our time. We are awesome at disrupting our circadian cycles by exposure to blue light, by all of that stimulation. And there's a whole heap of stuff that's really important around sleep hygiene. But for me, one of the most important things is just a digital sunset and just get off all devices minimum half an hour before you go to bed, ideally an hour before you go to bed, because the research shows if you interact with blue light, with the screen, and within an hour of going to bed, melatonin in your sleep hormone drops about 30%. So you're, much more, you're less likely to get to sleep, and you're more likely to wake up. So just turning digital devices off is hugely important. And if people have teenagers, it's even more important because the research shows that teenagers who bring a device into their bedrooms sleep on average one to one and a half hours less than their peers and they have double the risk of mental health issues. So it's just having that digital sunset where everything's off, get your bloody phone out of your room, you know, stop being a tight arse, buy a $10 alarm clock. You know, people say, my alarm clock, you know, it's not, it's not, it's your umbilical cord to the digital world. So getting it out of your room is really, really useful for sleep. And then if you sleep well, it really sets you up for, for the day. So my last one is about, it's what I call the tap coat. And it came out of the Vietnam War and a prisoner of war camp that was nicknamed the Hanoi Hilton. And in the Hanoi Hilton, Senator John McCain was in there, you know, the US Senator who mm -hmm. died recently. Yep. And he has gone on record saying that if Jim Stockdale, who's one of my characters for the Jev, he said, if Jim Stockdale had not been in the Hanoi Hilton, I would not be alive and many of my friends would not be alive. And Jim Stockdale basically created this thing called the, the tap coat, which was just a way, it was a whole ethos. It was, they created a purpose for them, which was to return with honor. And they had some values around it, which was about, it was about unity, the power of we. It was about inclusion. Every man was to be included. No one was to be left alone. It was about honesty and second chances. But they created the TAP code when they realized that they were going to start getting put into solitary confinement. So this is a way that they could tap out letters of the alphabet and communicate with each other. So it's like a Mose code? It was like, it was like, yeah, so it's a way that they could tap, right? So it's, it's done on a grid. And so Stockdale said to everybody, he said, get on the wall. 
learn the top code and share information, help each other, support each other, and remind each other of the mission and each prisoner of war's role in that mission. So what happened every time, particularly when someone was interrogated, people tapped on the wall just to kind of say, oh, hey, are you okay? You know, they connected with each other. Some of these guys spent four years in solitary confinement. And there were lifelong friendships struck up between people who'd never met each other because they were in the next cell or the cell across the way because they tapped and they communicated. So the takeout from that is that everybody needs a tap coat, right? Every person, every family, every organization, every team needs a tap coat. And this is about the social brain. We know that the single biggest predictor of poor well-being is isolation. The brain needs to be a member of a tribe. So I'm a big fan of saying to people, you know, identify your top code gang. So here's the homework for the listeners. Who's in your top code gang, right? It's writing down all the people who you could reach out to if you needed to, but equally important because it takes two people to get on the wall is who is it in your network who you think might need an arm around the shoulder and an are you okay conversation? Because what happens when me and you have an are you okay conversation, Oxytocin and vasopressin are released in both of our brains, right? Oxytocin is the hormone of love and trust. Vasopressin is the hormone of social bonding or the neurohormone of social bonding, but they're both very potent anti-stress hormones and they're released in both of our brains. So this is the cool thing. We know now from the research that people who provide social support benefit even more than the people that they're giving it to. So this is one of these rare two-way win-win exchanges that when people have those types of conversations that both of their mental health is improved which is pretty cool so i think that for me is the big one is about that tap code so it's not about i mean in this context it's not about creating the code as such but it's the it's the the thinking behind it is the support yeah yeah it's it's about getting on the wall yeah right that's what they said yeah. so getting on the wall is about having the conversations mm-hmm. it's about reaching out to people who may be struggling or if you're struggling yourself reach out i mean i've had people re- reach out to me and say look you know i don't want to be a burden and i go don't give me that bullshit you're just giving me an opportunity to improve my mental health so don't give me the burden bollocks, right? It's like, let's just have a conversation. And it's understanding that. And I think when people understand that when they reach out to someone, it actually does that person good, it takes away the stigma, right? They're much more likely to do it. So that is basically, they're the seven rituals. But ultimately, it's about choosing. It's about just waking up in the morning and saying, maybe I'll run an experiment. See what happens in my day if I start with a short, high-intensity workout, have that cold shower, just you know, take a teaspoon of concrete and harden the hell up, have a bit of a cold shower, and then just get my game face on and see what happens throughout the day. Do, do your gratitude ritual, that sort of stuff, and, and you'll reach out to someone. Or if you're struggling, you know, it's, a two-way, it's a two-way thing. You either reach out to someone who you think might need help, or if you're struggling with something, just go and talk to somebody. Run an experiment, see what happens. Amazing. Thank you, Paul. As always, it's been fascinating to talk to you and some really good takeaways there for listeners. Really appreciate it. Hope we can have you back again one day, another day because, you know, this is uh, your second time on the podcast and I'm very happy to, to have you back for a third if you'll come. Mate, I will absolutely come. i got a lot of crap to talk about. You know, as Irishmen, we can talk. So I look forward to it.
To learn effective coaching and behavior change techniques, check out Network's online course, Coaching Skills for Maximal Client Results, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points. Go to the Network website, select the Courses tab, and click on Coaching and Behavior Change. Members of Australian Fitness Network save 25% on this course, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au to grow your skill set and fitness career today. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Filex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar at filex.com.au.